Hey, welcome back to Sitting at the Feet of Jesus. This is your host, Patrick Ransom. As I sit here this morning, um, looking outside here in Houston, Texas, it's a a beautiful uh, 67 degrees. It's only a couple or maybe a few weeks a year that we have uh, just fantastic weather like this. And as I sit here looking outside of my backyard, uh, I'm just uh, overtaken by the the beauty of uh, all the flowers that are still growing and uh, the, some of the stuff that is still blooming out here. Um, and, and I thought this week, as I talk about this topic of reaping and sowing that we're going to look at in Hosea chapter 10, um, I thought about this question. Have you ever planted something uh, that you wish you hadn't? Um, at one point, uh, my wife and I, we uh, had bought this three-story house uh, the zero lot line house. And so it uh, has a little bitty backyard and a little bitty side garden. And there was nothing uh, planted in the side garden. And so some uh, neighbor of ours told us uh, here, you should take this plant. They gave us a little sample. It's called a purple heart plant. And if you're from Texas, uh, you'll know what plant this is. It's a super hardy, uh, almost a succulent like plant, uh, beautiful purple color. It has these little um, like lavender, uh, flowers that come out and it has little yellow and white on just really beautiful and uh, our neighbor said here just plant them it doesn't take a lot of water um doesn't take a lot of maintenance and sure enough i planted these and they took off and uh friends it just they grew and they grew and they they started to overtake the rest of the the little uh, flower bed that we had and so i i tried to, to chop them back and cut them back but it, if you're familiar with this plant uh the stems are, are really uh, soft. And so anytime you try to pull them out, it just snaps off. You never really get back to the root. Um, and so I tried for uh, several weeks just to kind of cut it back and dig it up and it didn't work. And I thought at some point I'm just going to cut it completely flat and I'm going to use the shovel and I'm going to just, uh, you know, chop it all up uh, in the dirt, till up the dirt. Um, and that's, that's going to basically be the end of that. Uh, but, but I'm going to tell you, this plant came back with a vengeance. It had just it kept growing and growing and growing. So many of us have planted uh, something we wish we hadn't for one reason or another. And, and what we're going to look at today in Hosea 10, it really speaks to this concept of sowing and reaping. And uh, just like Galatians 6 tells us, whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And uh, this week's... Uh, podcast really is an example of how Israel was sowing seeds of sin and ungodliness, and uh, consequently they reaped a great judgment. And And I'm going to tell you, friends, if you've ever studied the, uh, the Old Testament, especially the prophets, um, it, it is this cycle that we see of uh, Israel sinning, uh, they're oppressed, uh, God sends them... Uh, a judge and they repent and then they're delivered and that cycle just keeps going over and over. So if you ever studied the Old Testament, uh, there is a lot of judgment uh, language. And 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 I'm just going to tell you, uh, 21st century uh, American Christians, uh, this is a hard topic for people to hear. And I'm going to tell you, it is a timely message, uh, especially in the state of the culture here in America, that we need to hear a message about not just God's uh, love and kindness, which he is both loving and kind, uh, and he is gracious and merciful, uh, but there is a side that is uh, also that of judgment, and I think we need to hear that. So let's turn, uh, 
with me, uh, Hosea chapter 10, and we're going to look at what's going on with Israel. Now, up until this point in Hosea, right, Hosea is this prophet. He's preaching to Israel. Uh, Israel's this chosen uh, people uh, by God uh, for him, and basically they've gone off the rails. They're rebellious. They're disobedient. They're idolatrous. They've set up these temples all throughout, and they're uh, pagan temples, and they're worshiping. Um, they're going through the motions of offering uh, false repentance, uh, but yet just go, going about their business and continuing to sin. And friends, we know people like this today. We know people that uh, that we, we call this lip service, right? They just they provide lip service, but they go on living out a life of uh, of sin. And we're and we're confronted today uh, with this passage. It is a it is a weighty passage. I will just I will tell you that right off the bat it is one that uh, talks about the sin that Israel sowed and the consequences that fall from that. So let's look at the sin that was sowed. Uh, Hosea chapter ten verse one tells us this. It says Israel is a luxuriant vine. It produces fruit for itself. The more the fruit, the more altars it made. The richer the land, the better they made their sacred pillars. It, you know, it begins by talking about Israel. Here it's referring to this, the northern kingdom. It's a luxuriant vine, meaning that it's it's one that produces a lot of fruit. And the more fruit, uh, the more altars that they make, right? This refers to this uh, prosperous state economically, militarily that Israel is in. But what did they do with that prosperity? It says that they go about and build more and more altars. They are spending that produce on altars for false gods. And it says the richer the land, the better they made the sacred pillars, right? These are the pillars of Baal. These are the Asherah poles. These are idols for false gods that Israel multiplied. So the richer they got, the more sinful and the further away from God they fell and they were relying on something other than God. Uh, verse 2 says that their heart is faithless or fickle or deceitful, right? Uh, this is, we, we have the Hebrew uh, word here, uh, halach, right? This is this um, uh, slippery. This is how they're described. It says that uh, verse uh, 4, they, they spout empty words and they make covenants that they don't intend to keep. And justice sprouts among them like poisonous weeds in a farmer's field, right? We have a lot of agricultural uh, talk when it comes to reaping and sowing, uh, but but we get the picture here of, of what we're painting about Israel, um, the type of sin that they're sowing. It says that they're basically they're placing their trust in their finances, in their economic strength, in their military, in their kings, and they're placing them in these false idols. And verse 5 says, The people of Samaria tremble in fear for their calf idol at Beth Aven, and they mourn for it. Though its priests cry out over it, its glory will be stripped away. Right? Um, the, the Hebrew in this is just beautiful, right? It, it, it really says, uh, literally, the, the, the people of the calf idol, right? Even though they're from Samaria, it says, because they are worshiping this calf, this is how they're known. They're the people of the calf idol, and they'll mourn over it, or they'll tremble over it, because, y'all, they've placed uh, all of their trust and all of their loyalty, and, and I like to use these words interchangeably, interchangeably uh, trust and belief and loyalty and um, 
who you align yourself with, right? I like I like all these words kind of mean similar as we look at this passage, these two passages here today. Um, it says these people have placed their loyalty, their trust into this uh, calf idol at uh, Beth Aven. This is kind of a play on words here. Uh, uh, Beth Aven, uh, you know, the Hebrew word for house is Beit or Beth. This is where we get like Beth Lahem is house of bread. That's Beit Lahem. Uh, this is... Uh, Beth El is the house of God. You know, they're doing a play on words here. This what this was a place uh, in Israel where Jacob committed himself to God in Genesis 28. And it says, this will be God's house, right? Beth El, the house of God. Uh, but what Hosea is saying is Beth El, which, which should have been the house of God, has instead become Beth Aved, which is, uh, uh, could be translated a house of, of emptiness or a house of nothingness or a house of trouble. Or a house of wickedness. So, so you see the play on the words here. He's saying you've, you've placed all of your loyalty, all of your trust in this golden calf, and now it's being hauled away by the Assyrians, right? Remember, friends, the, God is using the Assyrians, the enemy of Israel, to discipline his people Israel for their unfaithfulness. And it's, it's uh, Assyria who comes in and they haul off this calf and it says Israel is left trembling in fear, mourning the loss of their idol and their priests, right? These are these uh, uh, Komarim. These are the, the the gyrating ones, if you want to say that. These are the ones that are crying out in distress as the object of their affection is literally stripped down, right? The gold is taken off and it's being hauled away. That what they put all their worth and value in is really value less and it's taken away. Verse 9 says, the Lord uh, says, uh, O Israel, ever since Gibeah, there has been only sin and more sin. You have made no progress whatsoever. What is what is not right? Uh, uh, was it not right that the wicked men of Gibeah were attacked? So so what is this reference of Gibeah, right? We, you'd almost have to go back to Judges 19. This is where uh, Gibeah is talked about in, in and this is just a horrible, horrible uh, story, right? This is a, a man's concubine who was brutalized and murdered, and he cut her into pieces, and he and he basically set her body parts all over Israel to bring the people together to punish the wickedness of the men of Gibeah, and and thousands were killed in the civil war, right? This is the tribe of Benjamin it was almost completely wiped out. So so when we hear a word like a, or a term like Gibeah. Um, it, it's kind of like, you know, when we hear uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? You, we've heard this before. Oh, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. You, you, you hear that and you know the wickedness that goes on. This, this is kind of the same thing for Gibeah. It's, a, it's an infamous town where great sin was committed. And God says, ever since those days in Gibeah, Israel, you haven't changed either. You continued to sin and sin you continue to do. Um, and just like Gibeah, he's alluding to, right? Gibeah almost completely wiped out. There will be a remnant that's left in Gibeah. You too, Israel, will experience something similar. Verse 13 says, But you have cultivated wickedness and harvested a thriving crop of sin. You have eaten the fruit of lies, trusting in your military might, believing that great armies could make your nation safe. And he goes on to describe all the sin that Israel has sowed, right? 13 says you have plowed or cultivated witness. Uh, they believe lies. That's 13b. They've trusted in their own ways. 
in their they've trusted in their numerous warriors they've trusted in their military might 13d they've trusted in their numerous for, uh, fortresses verse 14 tells us right so they've trusted in their fortresses their military might they've trusted in their economic strength they, uh, strength they've trusted in false gods and trusted lies instead of truth you know y'all does this sound familiar uh, to anyone at all right a nation that is prosperous that trusts in its military might, that has gone after false gods instead of the God of the Bible, that has trusted lies instead and has gone after wickedness. Does this remind you of any nation today? It should. Strikes very close to home. Judges 21-25 says this, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is what happens when everyone ignores God and does what he or she wants And friends, God will discipline them, just like he's disciplining Israel. They will reap what they sow. And so what is the judgment that comes upon Israel for all of this uh, sin that they've sowed? We see that here in verses 6 through 8. Listen to this with me. It says, This idol will be carted away to to Assyria, a gift to the great king there. Ephraim will be ridiculed and Israel will be shamed because its people have trusted in this idol. Samaria and its king will be cut off. They will float away like driftwood on the ocean wave. And the pagan shrines of Aben, the place of Israel's sin, it will crumble. Thorns and thistles will grow up over and around the altars. They will beg the mountains, bury us, and plead with the hills, fall on us. Right, verse 6 says, this very thing, this idol, the, the idol itself will be carried away. The invading Assyrians will come, and in judgment upon Israel, they will carry off the very idol that Israel was praying to for protection. That's the irony here, right? They Instead of, uh, instead of turning to God, the God of the Bible for protection, Israel here has placed that role and that responsibility onto this golden calf, and it's doesn't protect them and it and it's hauled off and it says it's given to the king of Assyria who is invading them. It goes as far as verse 7 saying Samaria will be cut off with her king. Verse 15 affirms this right the king of Israel will be cut off which he was right Israel's king at this time was uh, Hosea not Hosea but Hosea and he was taken uh, into cap- captivity when uh, Assyria when they invaded and destroyed um, the northern kingdom there. Verse 8 tells us that the high places will be destroyed. These are the places of worship uh, that they that they did to these idols. Um, these are the, the the places of worship that had sprouted up all over Israel. It says they too will be laid flat. All of your fortresses will be destroyed, verse 14. Y'all, this is the crop, if you will, that is reaped from the sin that Israel has sowed. And I want, I want you to notice real quick with me, verse 12 and verse 13, right? There's a huge contrast that's being displayed here. It says, uh, you know, what's being plowed here is the iniquity instead of the sowing of righteousness. Uh, they've reaped injustice instead of uh, loving kindness or hesed, right? They've Instead of breaking the hardness of the hearts, they, they've ate the fruit of the lies, right? You're, you reap what you sow. Wrong actions bring about wrong justice or injustice, which leads then to further wrong words, which leads to further wrong actions. And it says here that they ate the fruit of lies, right? This 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 word here, the Hebrew, right, is really a picture of um, someone being starved. It's the opposite of, of full and, and healthy and content, right? This is 
the result of everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. Right? Jeremiah seventeen five says, "Curses the man who trusts in man." Uh, friends, man is a poor replacement for trusting in God. Israel relied on their own military might, and when that wasn't good enough, instead of returning to God for protection, y'all they went and, and they sought to broker other deals with other nations. Um, this was all the crop that they reaped from the sin that they sowed. I like this, what uh, John MacArthur said. He says, friends, there's a great cost of sin. You can't sin and win. Sin always has a cost. Sin always has a price tag, and it's always more than you wanted to pay. You reap what you sow, and Israel reaped what they sowed, and they relied on something other than God, finances, idols, fortresses, military, and friends, it had a disastrous result. But even in the midst of all of this judgment, right, that they are reaping judgment from the sin that they sowed, there's also grace and mercy, right? Graciously, we do not always reap what we sow. God reserves the right to show mercy on whomever he will. And as he said to Moses in in, Romans uh, 9.15 says, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It is because of the mercy and compassion of God, friends, that we can have a home in heaven despite our sin. Right? I want to make sure you understand that. It's because of the mercy and compassion of God that we have a home in heaven despite our sin. We sowed iniquity and corruption, and Jesus reaped our punishment on the cross. Amen? Praise be to Jesus forevermore. And we see that there is this gracious invitation here in verse 12. Look with me here. Verse 12 is like this little uh, oasis of hope in the midst of all this sin and judgment of Hosea 10. It says, after all Israel has done and everything that they've sown, all this sin that they've sown in the midst of this judgment that they were reaping, it is amazing that even now here, God gives them this invitation to repent. Listen, Listen here in verse 12. It says, sow with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to reign righteousness on you, right? What a great invitation from God with a great promise. So with a view to righteousness, right? So good things, so obedience to God, uh, not sin. In other words, repent and change, right? This is a changing of the mind, changing of actions, right? We are no longer going to sin. We are going to change and become obedient to God. And he says, break up your fallow ground. Maybe you've heard this expression before. Uh, what what does it really mean to break up your fallow ground, right? In the Hebrew, it's literally um, a freshly till your untilled ground, right? If ground isn't broken up, it's hard, it's dry, and you can't plant anything on it, right? The seeds would just bounce off. They, they don't go down deep and they and they will never grow. And so you must pre- prepare the soil. You must till it up. You must you know, prepare it so that you can put the seeds in and plant it, and they will take root. You know, obviously God is not talking about agriculture here, but He's talking about uh, your heart and my heart and our spiritual life. He's saying, till up the unbroken ground in your heart, right? Break up the hard places that are in your heart. Open your heart to God and prepare the way for what He wants to do in your life, and seek Him. Right, we, we've we've talked about this this idea of seeking the Lord before. Um, we seek the Lord by turning from sin. Uh, there is no good seeking God if you don't turn from sin first. 
Sin is what is keeping us from him. Sin is, sin is the barrier that is um, keeping us from the Lord. And it says there's no seeking God without repentance from sin. So friends, turn from known sin and seek him in his word and do his will. And in our sin, we don't deserve for God to give us a chance to repent and return to him. But the beauty of this is, the amazing part of this is he loves us and he gives us a gracious opportunity to repent and return to him. And just like Israel, we all have sinned and we have all sown thoughts and words and and wrong deeds that we shouldn't have. And like Israel, we all deserve God's punishment for our sins. But just like verse 12, God is gracious. Even in our sin, he offers us an opportunity to repent like he offered Israel here. Uh, Jesus came and died on the cross and paid for our sins so that if we would break up the fallow ground, if we would seek him, it says here that he will rain righteousness on us. He will He will give us the very righteousness of Christ as a gift if we will simply believe in the person and work of Jesus. Friends, it really is a matter of belief or trust or loyalty or allegiance. All those words for me are, are all tied so closely together. So what do we do with this passage today as we wrap up uh, our, our time together here today? I have, I have three uh, questions I want you to think about this week. Uh, three questions that, that are spawned directly from this. And, and I want to be clear uh, real quick before we dive into these three, uh, because somebody had uh, asked me a question earlier in the week. They said, uh, reaping and sowing, is that, is that biblical? Uh, because we hear a lot about reaping and sowing, uh, that type of, of idea in other religions. Um, uh, particularly, you know, if, you, if you've ever heard of the terminology of something called karma, right? We hear this in a lot of Eastern religions, um, Far East religions. This idea, if you, if you put out good, good's going to come back. If you put out bad, bad's going to come back, right? Um, how, how can that be true? And, and is, is this idea of reaping and sowing biblical? And I will tell you, you know, it is definitely biblical, but but what makes it different than than karma, because karma basically just says you, whatever you put out, you're going to get back. Uh, it's God's grace that changes everything. And, and I always tell people, if you come from a religion that doesn't understand grace, or if you come from a denomination within Christianity that doesn't explain grace or doesn't it doesn't wrap the gospel message around um god's grace it's it's hard to get it but i always tell people when, when i tell tell them about grace is when you when you get it you get it um it's god's grace that that changes that dynamic of if you put out good you're always going to get good if you put out bad you're always going to get bad right but sowing and reaping is a biblical principle um but it is it is the grace of God that just changes everything for us. All right, so first question today, and it and it deals with reaping and sowing, right? And so I want us to think about this week as as you're going out, what what are you reaping today from what you sowed in prior years? Both both good and bad, right? Because because the, you can reap both good and bad. You know, what are you reaping today? from what you sowed in prior years? That's the first That's the first part. The second part to that same question is, what are you sowing now 
that a future generation will be able to reap. Um, I did a lot of thinking and praying around this this week. Are we, are we all sowing something either to the flesh or to the spirit? Are we sowing spiritual things that have eternal implications, not just eternal implications for us, but eternal implications for others? Or, or are we just tilling the same old dirt? That's the first question. Second question, uh, who, if we're talking about trust and belief and loyalty and allegiance, who do you put your trust in? And I know a lot of you who are listening who are Christians go, well, of course we put our trust in in Christ, right? Here, I want, I want to read just quickly uh, somebody's paraphrase, which is a gentleman I, I really like. Uh, he's a commentator on the Bible, and he says, uh, listen, friends, to Psalm 20. Verse 7, this is his paraphrase, right? Uh, Many of you trust in chariots or horses. Many of you trust in Republicans and Democrats. You also trust in your 401k. And those who can pull it off, you trust in your personal charm or your degrees or your training or for the rest of you, your street smarts. But where we should be trusting is in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So the first question uh, is, what are you reaping today from what you've sowed about in the prior years? And also, what are you sowing now to the future generation? This question is really about your allegiance, right? In what ways are you relying on something other than, than God, right? Because if you're a believer listening to this today, you, you've already placed your trust in Christ, Right, so so I I, I don't want to say uh, who do you put your trust in because the answer to that is Jesus. But but friends, if we're honest with ourselves, in what ways are we relying on something other than God? Are we placing our trust in our finances? Are we placing our trust in our our electoral system? Because friends, uh, the culture is telling us right now the elections are right around the corner. And if you follow that, you, it's very easy to get um, sucked into wanting that to be your primary allegiance, right? I'm a Republican. I am a Democrat. I am a Independent. You know, I, I place my trust in that, or or I have this degree, uh, or this is my position in the company, right? We we put all of these, we put our trust in all these other places other than God, and God is saying, I want to be first. So in what ways are we relying on something other than God? That's our second one. And friends, the, the third and final question that I just want us to uh, think about this week, spiritually speaking, I'm talking about your spiritual life now. Would you characterize your spiritual life as a life of Bethaven or Bethel? And what do I mean by that, right? Is your life, your spiritual life right now, could it be characterized as a house of nothing? or house of God. Because friends, we, we all fall on the spectrum there uh, spiritually, right? As our spiritual life is. Sometimes we feel like our spiritual life is lacking and we don't have that connection. We're not abiding in Christ on a, on a moment by moment time throughout our day. 
And other days we're, we're, we're all in and we feel super connected and we can say, yes, my spiritual life is, a, is considered a house of God. I would just ask you to pray about that this week. Father, give us, uh, give us an understanding of how, how we need to better trust in you. I'm so thankful that uh, for for those of you who have reached out, for those of you who are listening, thank you again for for tuning in with us. Um, I just pray uh, blessings upon you this week as you as you go out and consider in what ways we are sowing and reaping for the next generation. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.